I don't have control of the sound, so are we good? Is that a good sound? Jesse said, yeah. All right. I'm not used to these rock star type of microphones here, so we'll see if I can keep it. All right. It's 7 o'clock, so uh, we'll get started, and let's open with a word of prayer. Wonderful Father, you've blessed us with a great day today. For that, we're truly thankful. You've blessed us with the opportunity to be here tonight to spend time in your word. Uh, Thank you for this opportunity. Bless our time of discussion and study and help us to learn from your word what you would have us to learn. Thank you, Lord, for this family and for this opportunity to study together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, welcome. Glad that you're here this evening. I will say that my wife and I are still debating over whether there will be a summer in Alaska. This is our first summer here, and we've seen 60 degrees twice. So, Jerry's shaking his head like, sometimes no, huh? (laughs) Yeah. uh, We've got to have spring. Yeah, we've gone from winter to rainy, and I guess that's one of the seasons is rain. It's not, I would agree it's not summer. It's not spring in Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee's 90 right now, in case anybody's wondering, so. (laughs) Horrible. Yeah, I will say, I usually wear my coat in Tennessee because of the sweat marks. I will say here that it's kind of nice that I, uh, I'm not walking in 90% humidity and 90 degrees. 82 in Fairbanks, yeah. Anchorage is better, you're right. All right. All right, so I think everybody knows who I am. I'm Stephen Heffington. Uh, My wife and I have been here about six months now. Uh, We're loving it here in Anchorage. Well, I'm loving it in Anchorage, and Emily is tolerating Anchorage. How's that? She's she's loving the family here, and uh, she wishes she had a better roommate at home, but that's okay. We'll work on that as we we go through. Uh, I'm a physician by training. I was a surgeon and did kidney transplants and, and practiced for a while, then was in academics. And uh, came here from the Indian Health Services. So about two years ago, my wife and I decided we were at a point in our life where we could do some mission, mission work. And we moved to northern Arizona at one point and worked on a Native American reservation there. And then worked with a small church of about 20 um, for a while. It was great work. But then the opportunity came up to move to Anchorage with a different type of work for my, for my practice. And um, we were praying for God to maybe lead us to somewhere that we can be involved and uh, he's led us here, so we hope you can use us. If there's something you need us involved with, just grab me, grab Emily. We'll be glad to be involved. Um, so Emily and I both grew up in Nashville, and there's a term that we use in the southeast called the Bible Belt, and that's a term that describes lots of churches. So, for example, uh, Davidson County, where she and I spent most of our lives uh, when we were younger, is about half the size of the county we're in right here. Had 176 churches of Christ, okay? Had handfuls that were over 2,000 members. Largest church of Christ in the nation was in Nashville at one time. So it's a different background. And so growing up in my life, I can tell you, this is the truth, I never once met anybody, by the time I graduated high school, I never once met anybody that did not know who Jesus was, that did not know what church was. Never in my life did I meet somebody. And it's like, oh, that's great. Um, It's both great and it's both disappointing because how do you evangelize? Now, I'm not saying everybody there was a Christian. Please don't take that. But it's hard to teach people about Jesus when they already have a mindset of Jesus, whether it's right, wrong, or otherwise. 
And so when we moved away for residency and got out of the Bible Belt, I knew at that point, at some point in our lives, we would move back out of the Bible Belt uh, where we can try to do some work for the Lord. But one of the things we learned when we moved away, we were in Missouri, and there was uh, one church in the town where, we, where the university was there. And um, in growing up in my church, there were 450 people. There was one person that became a Christian after the age of 18 in that church of 450 people. In my wife's church, she did not know a single person that became a Christian as an adult. Everybody had grown up in Church of Christ families, okay? When we moved to Missouri, and I was teaching class, and I would reference these stories. And I would say, oh, you know, Noah and blah, blah, blah. Jonah and blah, blah, blah. And I would just move on, right? Because where I grew up, everybody had gone to vacation Bible school their whole lives. Everybody had heard these children's stories their whole lives. Well, I realized it was making it, it was a disservice to the many people who we now knew in the church where we were in Missouri that had become Christians later in life, right? And I realized that not everybody grows up hearing these children's stories. There's also a downside, though, because I grew up hearing these children's stories, and I call them children's stories, and I'm here to tell you there's not a children's story in this book, right? But because I heard the I'm going to use this term Disney version, right? The happy ending we glossed over. Remember VeggieTales? Anybody know what VeggieTales is, right? Yeah, my kids watch VeggieTales. VeggieTales simplifies the story, makes it all nice and sweet. It shortens it. If you do that, you never get into the meat of what God wanted us to learn from the story. And so whether you've grown up in the church or became a Christian later in life, I think there is value in going through some of those stories, the children's stories, those Old Testament stories, and seeing what God would have us to learn. And so that's where this class came about. I first taught this in Missouri. I've taught it since then in another church, and I kind of tweak it based off of um, what, what might be beneficial. Uh, when I teach, I do not prepare 45 minutes worth of lesson, Okay. So if everybody sits there and listens and nobody says anything, we're going to have some time to fellowship at the end. If we talk and we get through one point, I'm good with that. Okay, um, I don't mind chasing the, the question that's asked or the, somebody ask a question about a story and we can learn if it's biblically based and we're going to learn about it, that's great. So I don't have an agenda. I have notes, and those notes will guide us. But I open up the floor to talking. And I open up the floor to correction. If I say something that's questionable, something you want a clarification, or something you want to argue, let's always make sure we end up here, right, in the book. And that's where we can have those, those debates. And I might, I'm not perfect. I may say things that I shouldn't. Um, especially being from the South, I may use a term that's not recognized here. So we're going to talk about Abraham tonight, okay? And, and I'll ask this, so who is Abraham's wife? Right, so in the South, we don't say Sarah. My, my mom has said S-A-Y-R-U-H, Sarah. That's what it's been my whole life, Sarah. So Abraham and Sarah, that's who. So I may use terms, and you may go, hey, what's a yonder? You know, what's y'all? What, just feel free to ask if we go down that pathway. So we're going to uh, start tonight. We're going to talk about God's called-out people. So we're going to go to start with Abraham, okay? And we're going to hopefully get through six or eight chapters in Genesis because we're going to talk about the basic story. And as we go through the story, I'll say, hey, here's a lesson that I've learned from this. And I've got it pointed out. And hopefully the lesson is not something uh, superficial. Sometimes it's, it's something that we can really learn from these children's stories. 
And so we'll stop each time I think there's something there. But if there's something significant to you or something you want to talk about, feel free to raise your hand. Okay. So we're going to start at the end of Genesis chapter 11. And we're going to go through the story of Abram. Okay. This time we have Abram. So Abram's married to Sarai, right? S-A-R-A-I at this time. And she's not able to have kids, we're told. They live in the, the land of Haran. And at age 75, the beginning of, of Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Okay? So at age 75, God calls Abram and says, I want you to go somewhere. Okay? Now, we know the story of Abram. If not, we're going to learn it tonight. What is Abram's response? Did he ask God, are you sure? Did he say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Maybe I should figure out, do you want me to be a shepherd? You know, I don't have kids yet, and maybe I need to take another Abram's response is, the Lord said go, and he goes. And we're told in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That's a key verse, and so I'm going to stop right there, and here's my lesson, okay? Uh, Did Abram know where God was leading him? No. Did Abram know that it was a good place? No. Did he know that it was safe? Hmm? Did Abram get to take his whole family with him? No. He left his family behind. He takes his nephew Lot, okay? He takes his wife. Did Abram know why he was going? Not yet. He didn't, okay? Um, was Abram going to receive a reward? God said, I'm going to reward you, right? Was he going to receive one? Yes. Did Abram get to receive that reward? Did he get the promised land? No. Did he see his generations numbered beyond the sands of the sea? No. So Abram doesn't know where he's going, why he's going, what it's going to be like, and he knows he's not going to get to see the final reward, and yet when God says go, he goes. Okay? The lesson is, following God isn't knowing about where he's leading us. Following God isn't knowing about why he's leading us. Following God isn't understanding every step of the way. We follow God because he's God. That's the lesson. Following God is about following God. That's what Abram did. And you say, well, why does that matter? Because here's what pop culture, and I mean pop culture in Christianity when I say this. Okay, I hear it all the time in churches. You need to figure out God's purpose in your life. That's hogwash because I know God's purpose for my life is to to preach his gospel and to get to heaven. You need to figure out what God wants you to do with your life. Don't we tell our kids that? Are you going to be a teacher or a lawyer? And I'm going to say something that I want to, I'll explain. God doesn't care. God cares about you. He cares what he does. What God wants you to do is to follow him. You're going to be a teacher? Be a teacher following God. You're going to be a lawyer? Be a lawyer following God. You're going to be a mom? Be a mom following God. You're going to be a doctor? Be a doctor following God. I am not a believer that God has a single way path for you in your life. He has a single person you need to go find to marry. I'm a believer that you follow God first and the other things come along. Abram doesn't say, well, does Sarah come with me? She doesn't have kids. What do you want me to do with my job? Abram continues to be a shepherd. He brings his wife with him. He brings his nephew with him. And he says, I'm following God. That's what he says. I'm following God. I had parents when we were, as an eldership, we had parents come in and we were talking about 
they were struggling with some issues with their kids. And they said, we've always felt like the kids need to learn what God wants in their lives for them. And every one of us in the room said, no, 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 no. We know what God wants in their life for them. When you let them go out and learn things on their own, and you let them go out and make their religion their own, I think that's a bunch of baloney. That is an excuse for me not doing my job as a parent, for me not being in the Word. What God wants us to do, not to figure out our path in life, not to figure out His God wants us to follow Him. God says, Abram, I want you to go somewhere. You don't know where it is. You don't know why. You don't know how you're going to get there. You don't know how you're going to make it or if it's safe. And Abram said, okay, it's time to go. So following God isn't about knowing what he wants every step of the way, every pathway. Following God's about following God. So Abram follows God. Um, in fact, I would, I would say we actually learn about this a little because we get so wrapped up again about what does God want me to do with my life, my kids, what are they going to do with their life, who, you know, wh- what career. And I think that falls under in Matthew 6 when Jesus talks about worrying about what you eat or drink. And you say, oh, no, that's not worrying about what you eat or drink. Yes. Jesus is saying when you worry about things of this world, when you're anxious in Matthew chapter 6, he says don't be anxious about anything. God knows what you need, right? That's what he's saying. Abram's not anxious about whether he's taking his cattle with him, whether his shepherds are going with him, whether his wife is going with him, where the land's going to be, do I need an army? He's following God, and he's not anxious about it. You know, that's the way we should have our parents. And again, I made a comment earlier. I want to make sure I clarify. Um, I don't believe God has one mate one spouse planned out for you as a person. I don't believe when I'm born that God said, you've got to find Emily, and if you don't find Emily, you've married the wrong person. Now, I love my wife, and I think we're meant for each other, blah, 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 all that romantic stuff, okay, all that good stuff. But here's what I'll say. If I'm a Christian man seeking God, and I find a Christian woman seeking God, we will make that work in a loving relationship, okay? Do you know husbands and wives that are polar opposites, and they get, yes. Do you know husbands and wives that are exactly the same? Yes. Do you know them that have different interests, like interests, different personalities, different intelligence? Yes. When they are a husband and wife seeking God, if you're following God, the rest falls in to place. And so that's what I've tried to instill in my daughters. That's what I hopefully have tried to to find in my life. So following God is about following God. So Abram leaves, and he takes Lot with him. Who's Lot? Right, his nephew, okay? Um, Lot comes along, he's younger, according to um, Genesis chapter 13, the first couple of verses, there's a conflict. Does anybody remember what the conflict is about between Abram's people and Lot's people? The, the land, right, yeah, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so let's take a minute here. Do you know the valley they're talking about the land? It's thousands of acres, Okay. So you've got Abram and Lot, and the thousands, the actual tens of thousands of acres they have of lush valley is not enough for their herds. What does that tell you about them? They be rich. That's right. They got some money, okay? Uh, In fact, we're going to see some stuff about Abram later on, and I'm going to tell you this. Abram is a billionaire on today's market. How do I know that? He goes up against five kings combined, and what does he do? Wipes them out. 
this is a man who goes up against five kings, and in his household, he's got enough trained men to defeat them. Here's a man who tens of thousands of acres won't hold his herds. Right? This guy's rich. Abram's rich, he's powerful, and yet when there's a conflict, how does Abram handle it? Does he say, well, I'm the older guy, I'm the rich guy, I'm the powerful guy, what does he say? Yeah, yeah, you choose. It doesn't matter to me, you choose. You choose which side you want, and I'll go the opposite side, because Abram wanted to make sure there was peace between their families. So he unselfishly said, hey, you choose, and I'll go the other way. Immediately after Abram says that and they separate, God makes a promise to Abram. He rewards him for his way of handling this, for his unselfishness. God noticed the way Abram acted. And so Lot chooses the Jordan Valley, beautiful lush area, thousands of acres. Was it a good choice? Well, it depends. If you're just looking for the best land, he made a good choice. But was it a blessing to Lot that he made that choice? Yeah. So here's a lesson. Things that we view as a blessing may not be a blessing. Things that we view as a hardship may not be a hardship. We have a hard time with this in our society and in our modern day churches. Okay? So uh, I have an opportunity to take a job and it's more money. That's a blessing from God. Maybe. That's a good... Right. It might be. If Satan thinks that giving you more money is going to make you less likely to get to heaven, you think he's going to find a way to get a winning lottery ticket in your pocket? Probably so. Right? You think he's going to find a way to get you a promotion? You think he's going to find a way for your 401k to go up? Can Satan do that? Can Satan bring good things? Doesn't the Bible tell us good things only come from God? Money's neither good nor evil. Jobs are neither good nor evil. Health is neither, neither good nor evil. All of those things are simply things in life, and how we deal with them and act about them is whether we're going to be blessed or cursed. But I see it all the time. Oh, well, that man started a business, and we see this down in the, in the South. That man started a business. He's rich. He'd make a good elder because God has blessed him you think that doesn't happen? I can give you 50 examples before I got out of high school. Now, remember, there's 176 churches. It's not hard to find those types of examples. And you say, oh, I can't believe they do that. How do you view people based off of their success in life? Do you view the person who's uh, well off as maybe a better person? Oh, I would never do that. Really? You know, James talks about that. He talks about how we interact with people that come into the assembly And I think we do that a lot. Maybe we don't mean to. And I'm going to give a personal example. What's my profession? I'm a doctor. And I want you to call me Dr. Heffington, not Steve. I'm just kidding. You know that. But I can tell you right now, people treat me differently because I'm a doctor. He must be smart. He must be successful. If you ask my wife, I'm neither, right? She's... The best decision I made was marrying her is what she'll say, and I'll probably agree with it. But I get that. There are people that will elevate me because I have that DR in front of my name. Now, I'm not talking about giving respect. 
when I'm in the operating room, I'm Dr. Heffington, not because I'm better than anybody else, but if I say we need a unit of blood, somebody needs to go get that unit of blood, right? Somebody in the operating I'm not talking about if you meet the president, like him or not, like Mr. President. I'm not talking about respect. But if we're not careful, we start to view God as blessing people because they have a successful life, right? And it's based on the car they drive. It's based on where they reached in their life. I had a gentleman that served as an elder with me, and he had been refused to be an elder at a different church because he was only a teacher. And that is not a rumor. That is what was said directly to me when I, because before we made him an elder, we wanted to know why he wasn't made an elder elsewhere. Well, he's only a teacher. Okay. Well, I mean, is that really successful in life? Well, yeah. My wife is only a wife. She's pretty stinking successful in her life because she's a Christian woman who makes a big difference, right? And I mean that. So we have to be careful. What we view as blessings may not be a blessing. Lot's got this great piece of land. God has provide. God has blessed Lot with a great piece of land. What does it end up costing Lot? We'll talk about it, right? Yeah, cost him every. I mean, he's rich when he goes there. Right? Isn't he rich? Their, their herds are so many, there's not enough land to feed them. When he leaves Sodom, him and his two daughters are the only thing that make it out. What does it cost? This blessing, this great blessing in life, let's do the opposite. God, I lost my job. Why is God punishing me? Because, see, if having a new job is a blessing, then losing my job is a curse. You ever had something happen in your life and it was the best thing that ever happened to you? I have. And it was not fun to go through. And I don't know whether my sin caused it, whether God allowed it, or whether God caused it because of, hey, Stephen, you need to wake up. But I can tell you, looking back on it, it was the best thing that happened to me. But nobody would have viewed it as a blessing at the time. But if we use the great green valley, if we use that blessing, if we use the world standard of what's a blessing, right? Money's a blessing. New job's a blessing. When, when the doctor says there's no cancer, that's a blessing. Now, I'm going to tell you, any of those things happen to me, I'm going to God in prayer and saying thank you. Right? I'm going to attribute anything that, that, that I can. And, but when, when the doctor says there is cancer, I'm also going to God in prayer and saying thank you. Because that's what James says. And that's what Peter says. And that's the hard part. But have you ever had somebody whose life wasn't on the right track and something happens in their life that's not a blessing and they're going to go to heaven because of it? I can give you the name of a man who's father to one of my best friends. I've known her since I was a year old and she was two years old. And to this day, her dad is a faithful member of the church. And up until the day she got married, he hadn't stepped foot in the church in 20 plus years and had language that would make a sailor blush. Sorry if you're ex-Navy in here, right? But, and something happened horrible in his life. And it's one of the greatest blessings in his life. And it wasn't because he got a new job or more money. It's because of a diagnosis from a doctor that changed his life forever. Blessings may not be a blessing. Hardships and curses may not be hardships and curses. We need to quit looking at those things through the eyes of the world. Start looking at them 
through the eyes of this book. So Lot makes this choice. He goes off to the Jordan Valley. It doesn't take long before there's problems. What's down in the Jordan Valley? What two cities? Yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah. Good places to live, right? Yeah. Um, my dad once referred to New Orleans as Sodom, and I didn't know I was young at the time, but I understand. If you're from New Orleans, please, that's not a hit on it. My, my dad thinks most big cities are that way. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah, not good places to be. But luckily, Lot, right, Lot's a good guy, so he moves to the Jordan Valley, but he doesn't get involved with the cities, right? Man, right off the bat, we see that he's sitting at the gate of the city. Lot not only moved into the city, he becomes involved in their leadership. He's sitting at the gates of the city. So now you got Lot sitting at the gates of the city. Before we get to the bad part of what Sodom and Gomorrah are doing, though, you now have these four kings that come together, and these five kings that come together, and there's a battle. And these five kings defeat the four kings. So you now have got nine kings, these five kings, the most powerful, they, have, they control nine cities. They defeat them, and they take Lot captive. Okay? This uncle, Abram, the man who already had the best land taken from him from his nephew, right? And he said, do whatever you want. Did he need to go? Did he have any obligation to, to Lot? No. But Abram, this man who was unselfish, this man who followed God, said, hey, this is family. I'm going to make sure I go take care of him. So Abram gets together just from his household trained men and has enough trained men to go defeat the combined armies of five kings. And he brings his nephew back. He rescues him and brings him back. Abram was rich. Abram was very rich. He likely was one of the richest people in the world, if not the richest at the time. When you can defeat five kings who were rich enough to control nine cities, right? Abram was rich. So he goes down and he rescues Lot. Okay? After he rescues Lot, God makes his first, well, he expands the promise. So when we talk about Abram, who's going to become Abraham, the reason we talk about him is because he's the father of a nation, right? The nation of Israel comes through him. God has told him, I'm going to give you a land. I want you to go to this land. I'm going to give you a land. Your descendants are going to take this land. Here's where God says, starting in chapter 15, he does it again in chapter 17. He started it down in 12 and 13. Abram, I'm going to make your descendants greater than the numbers of the stars. Right? He says, look up, look at the stars. Your descendants are going to outnumber those stars that you see. He later tells him, your descendants are going to be like the grains of sand, right? Too numerous to count. That's a great promise. We've all heard it. But let me ask you this. How many kids does Abram have? Okay, well, wait a minute. He was 75 when God called him. We're now several years into this. Abram has zero kids. And you're saying, oh, but they lived to 900 years old. Not anymore, they don't. Oh, they lived to 400 years old. Not anymore, they don't. Those days are gone. Oh, but back then, they didn't get married till they were 60. No, that's not true either. Yeah. They started having kids at 80. No, no, they didn't. Abram's too old to have kids when he's called at age 75. His wife was barren. They knew they were going to have no kids. God makes this promise. He reaffirms this promise. Abram, you're going to have more descendants than you know. And he looks in the back seat of the car and goes, but um, no kids back here. Right? 
There's no kids on the back of the camel. I don't understand, God, where these kids are going to come from. Here's my lesson. God sees what we don't see. All right? See, God knew what was coming down the road. God was preparing Abram in some ways. He was preparing by making him rich, right? He was preparing. He was lifting him up so that his descendants would be able to do some great things. God was preparing him and testing his faith, and we're going to see that again. He was strengthening his faith. He wanted Abram to be a certain type person so that his child would be a certain type person, so that his grandchildren would be a certain type person. God saw in the future what he wanted. This is the promise that leads to our salvation because Jesus comes from this right here, right? God sees what we don't see. And it gets back to the discussion I just talked about. So when God decides that the the doctor's going to tell me there's no cancer or there is cancer, God sees what I don't see. See, in the moment, I'm wrapped up in that diagnosis. God's not. I'm not saying he doesn't care about it. He does. He loves us. He loves everything. If our jobs are an issue, he thinks about it. He cares about it. But God sees what we don't see. So when I go through things in my life, God's not focused on what I'm going through. He's like, but Stephen, I've got something down here I need you to do or that's better or that I want you to change. So let's get personal. This is one that I've struggled with and my brother has really helped me. Uh, He's challenged me over the last six or eight years. I'm going to ask a blunt question. Did God put President Biden in? Did God put President Trump in? When I read the Bible, God raises and lowers leaders to accomplish his will. I'm not saying he agrees with them. But let's go to the Old Testament. Has God ever raised up a leader in the Old Testament that was evil? Oh, repeatedly, right? In fact, find a, find a righteous leader we can name on one hand, right, when you go through that lineage. Because people will say, well, if Jesus were here, he would vote for, and I say, hey, you better not finish that sentence because you don't know what he would do. Because you don't know, because you see what I see, and that's through human eyes. Abram sees what his eyes see. God sees something different. So, when God raises people up and lowers them down, he has a purpose behind it. My job, let's go back to the very first thing I said, my job's not to figure out why God is doing it. Why did so-and-so get to be president? Whether you like or dislike this one or the last one or the one before, I doubt you liked all three. I haven't found anybody that's liked all three in a row, right? I don't care. Whether God cared, I don't know. What I know is God sees what I don't see. And whether it's good or bad for the nation, and you say, well, wait a minute. You can't want what's bad for the nation. No, in fact, we're told to pray for peace, right? We're told to pray so that we can live peaceably. But let me ask you this. Other than the day of Pentecost, when did the church grow more rapidly and expand more rapidly than any other time in history? Anyone know? Yeah, around A.D. 70. Mm -hmm. When the persecution was the highest of the church. Do you think people liked watching their, their siblings get drug out and killed because they're a Christian? No. Do you think God wanted people to die? I don't know. 
But what I know is that lowest of low times is when the church grew faster than anything else. And so maybe, maybe God is looking to raise this country up or to bring it down. And I'm going to be blunt. I don't care. Okay? What I care about is is what God wanted. Now, am I going to be involved? Yes. I'm not going to try to destroy anything. I'm not going to sit by and go, well, I'm not voting. But I don't care. If whether the right person is the president or not affects whether you're a Christian, then you weren't a Christian. If whether the right Supreme Court makes a decision on abortion or homosexuality affects then you weren't a Christian. None of that matters. You're not going to change this world by changing laws or changing politicians. It's about, it's about following God. You look at the story all the way through, Abram follows God. He's not a perfect man, but he follows God. The good, the bad, the otherwise. And that's hard for me because I, <laughs> you won't know this, I'm a fairly outspoken guy. And I, I, you ask my wife, because you probably haven't seen it any other way, I kind of let my opinion be known. I get that from my dad, and luckily only one of my daughters got that. We're, we're very thankful for that, that both didn't. But I struggle with this, because I know what's best, right? I mean, you ask me, we want, we want a Christian on the throne in the United States. We want the United States Christianity to go to the world. No. We want the Bible to go to the world, right? That's what we want. Again, this is not anti-United States. It's, I work for the Department of Defense, so please don't take it that way. But if you ask me what I am, I am not a dad first. I'm not a husband first. I'm not a doctor first. I am supposed to be a follower of this first. And so I look at Abram and I say, all right, Abram, I'm going to try to do what you did. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, so God, through all of this now, um, God changes Abram's name, so I can finally call him now Abraham, and Sarah's name to Sarah, right? Sarah, Sarah. Um, and he, he, he then creates a covenant. He says, Abraham, I want you and all your descendants to do something. Anybody remember what that covenant was? In order for this to be a sign. Yeah, I'm a urologist. You should be able to guess what this is. Circumcision, right? Yeah. Uh, it's the greatest covenant. No, well, no, but as a urologist, I love talking about it. Um, let's take a brief detour here. God tells him, you're going to circumcise every male on the eighth day. This is uh, chapter 17 of Genesis. Why the eighth day? Yeah, blood clotting, okay? So, your body has two cascades that causes it to clot. Okay, those factors are made by your liver, if you know where your liver is. When you're born, you don't have any vitamin K, I don't know how you're going to sign this, clotting factors. Perfect. How did you sign? Sarah. Sarah. Did you spell Sarah or Sarah? Okay, got it. All right. When you're born, you don't have any vitamin K clotting factors. Okay? If you circumcise a newborn boy, it's got a between a 25 and 50% mortality rate. As a urologist, I've been consulted twice on newborn hemophiliacs that got circumcised by mistakes. Both almost died in our modern-day medicine system. Okay? So it takes five to seven days for your body to make vitamin K clotting factors. In someone's wisdom, almost like he knew what he was doing, he said, wait to the eighth day. I want you to notice he didn't say wait to the seventh day. 
And if this were something written by anyone other than God, seven's the perfect number, seven's the number of days to, for creation, six days to creation, a day to rest. Nope, eighth day. So whether it's the very end of the day or the beginning of the day that they were born, we get through over 99% of the population will have vitamin K clotting factors by the end of the seventh day. And so circumcision on the eighth day, routine, very low complication rate. Okay? This is one of those proofs. I don't need a proof, but this is one of those that goes, whether you believe, even if you take an atheist, they don't believe Genesis was written in the last 3,000 years. They know it's more than 3,000 years old. There's no way to explain circumcision on the eighth day. There's no other eight that we find in the Bible that's significant. There's no explanation for it other than God said, I know what's going on in there. And he probably did it as a test. Follow my directions or you're going to have a problem. So that's why it was the eighth day. Um, My lesson there, God's laws and rules are always best, even if we don't understand. Because I can tell you, I have literally been in the NICU with a baby holding pressure for three hours after putting stitches in and it won't stop bleeding as we're transfusing. God knows what he's doing. He's pretty good at what he does. You look through the Old Testament laws, laws of cleanliness. Uh, Russ was preaching Sunday and he talked about the leper, right? Laws about cleanliness, about putting people out, about touching dead bodies. The Jews didn't know why. All they knew is God said do X or Y. And if you followed it, it was best for you. In today's society, is it best for us if we follow God's law on marriage and sexuality, if we follow God's law on how we get along with people, how we do business, how we interact with others? Is life better when we do it? Yeah. You don't believe me, circumcise a newborn. Now, some of you are going to say, wait a minute, my child, my boy, or whoever got circumcised on day one, 100% of kids that get born in the United States, they get a vitamin K shot on birth. And you don't, it's actually one of those you don't, as a parent, get to say yes or no. It is a requirement by law. So they get it immediately. So that's how we, nowadays, we give them those clotting factors that they used to not have. That's why we can do circumcision earlier in today's society. So, so you didn't know you could learn about God from circumcision. Yeah. Remember, deep down... Everybody wants to be a urologist, just a select few got to. (laughs) Sorry. All right, so now we're up to Abraham's 99 years old. We've got these promises. We've got this covenant. We've got what he's done with Lot. He is now 99 years old. It's been 24 years since he was called. You think he's wondering what's going on? You think he's wondering about the timeline? He has angels show up, and he says, oh, by the way, Abraham... In a year, your wife's going to have a baby. Now, we, um, we have good friends. A girl that graduated with me, they're friends of ours on Facebook. So they're our age. And they just posted about their oldest daughter graduating from kindergarten last, last week, two weeks ago. And their youngest is in preschool. And my wife and I talk about it, and it literally causes chest pain when we think about it. Because of our age and having a two- or three-year-old. Imagine being 90. And again, don't take this, oh, they lived to be 300. Not anymore, they didn't. This isn't Methuselah that lived to be 969. After the flood, all of that changed, right? 
90 is still old, and I apologize if you don't think 90 is old now. It is, okay? To have a baby, okay? 90 and having a baby, 99 and having a baby, that's old. And so I give Sarah some slack, because how does she react to it? You know, we really give her a hard time, but I got to be honest with you. Sarah, I'm right there with you. You know, I'm probably picking myself up off the floor if I didn't have a heart attack already, right? If I'm not having active chest pain. So I can't blame her. But a year later, what's going on? Yeah, she... God, yeah. Now, she does mess things up. She does... Her and Abraham do mess things up through Hagar, and they try to do it on their own. There's another lesson there about waiting on God. But a year after this promise, Sarah delivers a baby. 25 years after God said, Abram, follow me. I'm going to give your descendants this land, even though you have no children. Abram, you see the stars? I'm going to make your descendants like that, even though you have no kids. Abram, you know what sand on the ocean is? I'm going to make your descendants like that number, even though you have no kids. 25 years, God says, oh, Here's a baby. All right? Really simple lesson. God always does what he says he's going to do. Now, we've talked about some challenging lessons. This is one that should make us go, thank you, right? I don't have to be challenged on the others because God has said he's got a place for me in heaven. Because God has said he's going to save me if I do X, Y, and Z, if I believe. This is one of those lessons that's like, God always does what he says? Yep. 25 years later. Here comes Isaac. God's always faithful in what he promises? Yep. 25 years later, this 100-year-old man and 90-year-old woman have a newborn. Now, I'm hoping they're rich enough to afford a nanny at that point because I cannot get up at 2 a.m. for feedings. It was tough on me. I'm just kidding. Emily did most of that. So, um, The other thing that, I remi- that I'm reminded of, nothing... Okay, this is a good one. Nothing is impossible with God, right? These hundred-year-olds have a newborn baby. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, this gets taken out of context, right? We'll see this over the door of a football team, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nothing's impossible with God. Yeah, he's not talking about on the football field. That's not what this is about. What this is about is... Quit trying to do things in my life and let God do things in my life because God can do far more than I can ever accomplish. I don't see any way that I'm going to get my brother to not be an alcoholic. I I can tell you, really? Because I don't see anything that's impossible with God. You know, I've got a friend I know, and this is true, that I've been trying to talk about Jesus, and he doesn't want to. Nothing's impossible with God. You think you can't get through the hardship in your life? the health diagnosis, the lack of money, right? The anxiety, the depression, the loss of a relationship. Nothing. Anytime you think that, think 100-year-olds with a newborn. Right? That's what you should think. Nothing is impossible with God. All right, we're winding down on time and I've gone long so we'll have we have a good stopping point. We'll talk about uh, Abram and Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abraham and sacrificing Isaac next week. Uh, any questions, comments? I apologize. I didn't open it up for as many comments as usual. Questions, comments?
clarification, interjections, laments. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Um, I, I was told that the children will not be coming back in for the devotional part because they're doing their uh, weekly VBS. Uh, but we'll have a devotional here in a few minutes. So thank you.